Well, as I promised last week, uh, right before we left, that we're going to go ahead and, and, and start looking at the book of Exodus. We're going to look at what happened in Exodus, rather not so much uh, the book per se, but just the events that happened in Exodus and how they parallel to the, to the Christian faith today. And uh, I've entitled the message Out of Egypt, and we're going to go through this actually for the next three weeks or so. The next two weeks are going to be the parallels between Exodus and, and, uh, and, and the Christian faith. And then, uh, then we're going to look at, in the third week, we're going to look at kind of what uh, we can learn and, and kind of what Christians do that kind of parallels what the, what the, the Jews did in the desert. But the first thing that, that I want to point out is that when you read Scripture, you're going to find out that many times what happened in the Old Testament was just a type and a shadow. It foreshadowed what was going to happen in the New Testament. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, of God kind of letting us know what's going to happen. And it's usually an imperfect representation of what God's perfect plan was. But nonetheless, we begin to see God's heart in these things. And in Colossians two sixteen through 17, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We're going to see that when we read stuff, it's a, it's a shadow of what's to come. And in this particular case, he's talking about passing of judgment of food and all that stuff. It's, it's the legalistic requirements that were, were held in the law but we find out that they're fulfilled in Jesus because the law and those requirements were just a foreshadowing of what would be accomplished to 100% completion and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And it's not the only, we don't just see it in one scripture. There's, there's more to talk about. Hebrews 8, 4 through 5, it says, Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. So we see that word again, a shadow or a copy of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, say, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mount. Everything that Moses did was a pattern or, or a foreshadowing what was going to be happening. And when the, the, the earthly priests were set up, the Levitical priesthood was set up, it was just a shadow, it was a copy of what the real deal was going to be because it was, a, it was pointing forward to Jesus, the shedding of blood and the forgiveness of sins. But when they did it, it was a, it was a type and a copy and it could never perfectly fulfill the requirements of God, the requirements of a just and holy God. It was a foreshadowing of what they sacrificed, the blood of bulls and goats for the forgiveness of sins, but they had to continually do it. But Jesus did it once and for all because Jesus wasn't a foreshadowing. He was the real deal. He was the once and for all sacrifice. And the truth is it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do it, but the blood of Jesus for all time has cleansed us from the forgiveness of sins. So over the next three weeks, like I said, we're going to look at this, this foreshadowing, particularly in the exodus out of, out of Egypt. And we're going to see all the similarities in the foreshadowing and the hinting and the, and the typing of what's going to happen with Christians. And you're going to look, and, and I know as I was studying this, I was actually amazed at how similar the stuff that was going on. And just some of the ones that we're going to look at today, the similarities between the Jews and coming out of Egypt and the people today and coming out of sin was that the Jews were in bondage in Egypt. They were in bondage to, they were enslaved, they were forced to hard labor, they were being taken advantage of. And, and today, Christians, before they're Christians, people are in bondage to sin. They're, they're in bondage, they're, they're being enslaved to sin, they have no way out, they have, there's nothing that they can do of their own, they're, they're, they are where they are at. And sin is just ruling and reigning over their lives. 
We're going to see that the Jews were, were ruled by an impressive, uh, oppressive ruler whose goal, goal was to hurt them. And we look at, if you look at Pharaoh at the time, uh, his goal was to just damage and to hurt the Jews, the Hebrew people at the time. He wanted to, to make their, I mean, if he starts out with just trying to, to make their life so miserable that they'll, that they'll stop making babies was basically his goal. He's like, we don't want any more Jews. We're just going to, I'm going to make your life so hard that, that apparently you're going to be too tired to come home and, and do the deed. I don't know what his plan was. It didn't work, though, because cause they just kept on multiplying, you know. I should have made the women tired of the women. Never mind. That works. <laughs> <laughs> but it was his goal. He wanted to hurt them. He wanted to, to push them back. And Satan does the same thing for people today. His goal is to hurt people. Satan wants to push you down. He wants to kick you around. He wants, I mean, the scripture says that he's to, 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 to lie, steal, kill, destroy. He just wants to hurt people. And that's what this, the similar situation that, that people face today is they're in bondage. And they're under an oppressive ruler who's just trying to, to push them down. You know, everyone goes around, it's just the man trying to get, it's not the man, it's Satan trying to get people down in this world. We're also going to look at today how, how just like and, and the, the, the Hebrew people, a leader was provided to them to, to lead them out of that slavery, to lead them out of that bondage. So, so Moses was born. And he lives his life and he's raised up. And eventually, as we all know the story, Moses leads them from slavery. He leads them out of Egypt. And in the same manner that, that people, the rest of people, they were led out of slavery, out of bondage to sin by a leader that was, rose up in Jesus. Jesus was born, he grew up, he lived his life, and he gave his life for us so that we could be led out of captivity as well. Amen? Amen. And then we're also going to see that in, just like in Moses and in Jesus both, we're going to see that the working and the miracles and the power of God give evidence that God was in it. You know, one of the ways that we know that God was with Moses because there were fantastical, supernatural things happening as God was moving through his hands. And we're going to look at a couple of those things, but that was the evidence that God was with them. Because, you know, how many of them, you can stand up and say, no, God sent me, I'm doing these things, but if it's just your mouth speaking, people are going to be like, you might be a little crazy, but you start doing stuff like turning stabs into a snake or go ahead and turn rivers to blood, and people are going to start to take notice that maybe there's something to this guy. And, and God working powerfully through him gave evidence that God was with Moses. And the same thing is with Jesus, right? He did, I mean, the, even the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're like, we know that God is with you because we see the stuff that you're doing. I mean, he did all kinds of amazing miracles. But the most amazing thing is he rose from the dead. And that the scripture says, we're going to look at today, that that gave evidence that was proof that he was son of the god son of the god son of god and then we're also going to look at today that through moses god made a covenant with the hebrew people before that god had made a covenant with abraham that they would be fruitful and multiply and he would have many many offspring but it wasn't until moses that god made a covenant with with the hebrew people and said that you will be my people and i will be your god and the same thing happened for the rest of us because Jesus said that Jesus was, was a, the, the covenant for us, made a new covenant with us. And then we, we will follow him. Then we, will be, we are adopted as children of God. Amen? And the one thing that is certain, that's the, the greatest parallel between the two, is that the exodus out of, Jesus, out of Egypt was proof that God loved the Hebrew people. 
It was undeniable proof. No matter what they were going through, they could always look back and say, no, God loves us. Look what he did for us. He led us out of that captivity. And the truth is, he, he led them out of there better than when they went in. They came out with, I mean, they pilfered the, the Egyptians. They came out with everything that they needed. And the same thing is true for us. Jesus Christ going to the cross and leading us out of captivity is undeniable proof that God loves us. You know, when people are out in the world, and they're like, how can it I mean God obviously can't be a good God, or he obviously can't love us? Look at all the stuff that he's doing. You, go, you know what? He sent his son to die so that this stuff wouldn't be happening. That's undeniable proof that God loves us. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and get started. In Exodus 1, 8 through 14, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, unless they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This is a description. This is right in the beginning of, of the book of Exodus, talking about where the, the, they, had, they had ended up, where the Hebrew people had ended up. And I want you to know that this actually didn't catch God by surprise. He actually told Abraham that this would happen. In Genesis fifteen thirteen through 14, it says, And the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now, God knew this was going to happen. I want you to know that there is a difference. It's not the same thing as God making it happen. God did not want his people to be in captivity. So you see that actually through all of this, uh, you're always going to see God promising something and enemies coming in trying to wreck God's plans. And the funny, I don't know why the devil keeps trying because every time he does, God just turns around and makes it better for the people that the devil's trying to, to kick down. And I'm like, why do you keep trying? You keep failing. It's just keeping worse. And I think the reason he keeps trying today is many people let the devil uh, just walk all over them, and they never come out the other side because instead of continuing to trust God, they just give up. So unfortunately, there's a few people that the devil pulls down with them. But if you'll stick with God and keep your eyes on him, it doesn't matter what he throws at you. You're going to come out the other side in a better place than you were when you went in. And God gonna use, can use awful situation in your life to bless you in ways that you'd never expect. I mean, these, this is where these people, there's a scripture that says that they were in a forge during this time. I forget which one it was, but I think it's later on in Exodus. But he says that they're, they're in a forge. God was, was, was building a people, strengthening his people. This time the devil thought, you know what, I'm gonna, God loves these people. I'm just going to kill them. I'm going to make their life horrible. It's going to be awful for them. And God's like, give it a shot, devil. But you know what's going to happen? I'm going to take what you tried to do and actually use that to make them a stronger people. And we know the story in the end, right? They get let out, and not only are they a stronger people, they're one people, but they come out with all the Egyptian stuff. And they're blessed beyond belief. God used an awful situation and made it to bless them like they'd never been blessed before. And this is happening. This is after Joseph and his brothers, they have all died. And this must have happened sometime afterwards because when Joseph was the, you know, he was the, the, the number two in Egypt. And even after he died, because of what he accomplished, the Hebrew people, they were respected and they were honored because of what Joseph had done. But 
as you know, as time goes on, things change. And after this point, this is some time after that, at this point, they not only didn't know who Joseph was, they forgot what he did. They, they didn't know anything about Joseph. And now all of a sudden, the Pharaoh just sees too many people. He's like, uh-oh, we're going to be in a, we're gonna be in a mess if these people keep, keep multiplying. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? We're just going to make their life miserable. We're going to go after the adults. We're going to make them work hard. We're going to make them, and we're just going to make their life so horrible that, that they're not going to be able to, to, to multiply anymore. Because he was afraid. There were so many of them. He was afraid that if they, if they came together and revolted, or if they were attacked by enemies and, and somebody else were to, to, to come in and attack them, they could join the enemy and they, they would be overwhelmed because there's so many of them. So he says, you know what? We're just going to make life so hard for them that, that they don't multiply. They don't keep growing. That they're, they're done. We're going to try to kill them off by working them so hard. And time was about to get tough for them. I mean, it says they were ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And I don't know what that looked like back then. I've seen all the movies like you have, but we sure as heck know how slaves were treated in this country, and I can't imagine it was any better. And he tried to kill them off. And I... I don't know, I'd, I'd look at these, I don't know how the thought process works. He's like, man, there's so many of them. If they decided to come together as one and revolt, they would, they would take us out. We couldn't stand against them. I know, let's take them off. Let's, let's see how, I mean, does, I think if I wanted them to stay on my side, maybe we start treating them better. Giving them a little, so that way they're on our side instead of being worried about them overcoming us. But the Jews, the, the, the Hebrew people, they were placed under unreasonable burdens, and it was designed to destroy them and to control them. And the thing about bondage, what they're facing, is they didn't have a choice. They either complied or they were killed. I'll be honest with you, and they complied and they were probably killed as well. I mean, it was a rock and a hard spot. There was no good solution for them, so they were forced to do these things. And the truth is, is that in today's world, people that are living without God, without Jesus, they're in that same, very same situation. In Titus 3, 3, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. Romans six sixteen through 17 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. At one point, we were slaves. And thank God in Jesus, it says right here that we were once slaves to sin, but we've become obedient to the heart. And now that we are slaves to righteousness. And this isn't the only, when you see these types of scriptures, here's a couple of more. Second Peter 2.19, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And in John 8.34, it says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This isn't a, a new idea or an uncommon idea. There's a, there's a reality that when you were in sin, you were a slave to it. And I want to make a point here is that uh, this truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I don't believe that, that God is saying, this is, God is not speaking about the one who stumbles. He's talking about the one who's made sin their practice, their lifestyle. The, the reality is, is that, that uh, if I defend myself in a, in a court of law because I choose to be my own lawyer, no one's going to say that I, that I practice law. Or if, if, if a mom puts a Band-Aid 
on her, on her son's leg or her son's cut. No one's going to say she practices medicine, right? She just did it for the... So I think it's the same idea that if you stumble, you're not a practitioner of sin. The truth is that sometimes we forget that we're free and we do dumb stuff. But if you have Jesus Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. But just like the Hebrew people, in, in the, in the, as we read about them in the book of Exodus, the people of this world are loved by God. Just as much as God loved the Hebrew people, God loves the people of this world, but they're in bondage. They're, they're, they're living their lives in bondage to sin, and, and, and the, the worst part about it is I think the main difference between the, the, the Jews in the book of Exodus and the people today is at least the Hebrew people, they knew they were in bondage. But in today's world, people are deceived. They don't even realize that they're in bondage. They don't even realize that they're being held down. It says right here, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. The devil has uh, disguised sin as a pleasure, as a a passion, as something that you want. He makes you think that you got everything going right, but the truth, it's killing you. In Titus 3.3, it says that we were once foolish and we were led astray. People today don't even know they're in bondage to sin. Matter of fact, sin now promises freedom. It says In 2 Peter 2.19, it says they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. And we see that all today. I mean, the, the devil is coming out and he's telling you, you know what? This is what you need. This is, this is, if you'll just do this, you'll be happy. If you'll do this, just do this, you'll have joy. If you'll just do this, you'll have everything you ever wanted. And, we're de- and people are deceived and they think that they have it. And they actually really think that they're free. I remember when I was a Christian, first starting to, to give my life back to God, I was working in a restaurant, and I would try to talk to people about what I was going through, and they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I, wanna, I don't want to give up all this. I'm free right now. I can do whatever I want. And I would always tell them, you think you're free right now? And they're like, yeah, I can drink, I can smoke, I can, I can do all these things, and I don't have any rules. I'm free to do what I want. I said, really? I'm like, yeah. I said, well, stop for a week. And then they realized that they're not free. They laughed it off. They're still deceived. But I point out, you're not free. You can't stop. If you were free, you could stop. But they're deceived. At least the Hebrew people knew they were in bondage. These people don't even know. They just know they're searching for something, and it's being, it's being promised to them as freedom, but it's corruption. The truth is, is that if something controls you or overcomes you, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. If it controls you, if it, then you are a slave to that thing. And if sin is controlling your life, if sin is causing you, it is, you are a slave to that thing. That's the first part that we'll look at today. And it's that the Hebrews, they were enslaved to, uh, to, to, to Egypt, and, and people today are enslaved to sin. They were also under an oppressive ruler. Pharaoh was, was not a good dude at this time. In Exodus 1, 15 through 22, it says, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of them whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, see, and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. 
But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Both the Hebrew people at this time and people today are under an oppressive thumb. There there is a man out there, there is something out there that is trying to push him down, trying to kill them. In this case, it was, really it's the same in both cases. It's Satan every time, but Satan was using Pharaoh here to to kill all of these, these babies. And, oh, man, this is, Pharaoh wanted to stop them from, he realized there's too many of them. There's too many people. If they keep making babies, we're going to be in a mess real soon. And he wants them to stop. So he says, you know what, we'll just kill all the male children. So he says, while you're giving birth, go ahead and kill them. And, and the, the reality is, is by the time of Exodus, do you know how many, how many Hebrew people there were by the time of Exodus? The scripture, you can look in Exodus 12:37 or, or Exodus 38:26. it says that there were more than 600,000 men. And if you do the math, because that's just men, that means that there's probably around 2 million Hebrew people. 2 million of them at that time. And the Egyptians, they're scared that something's going to happen. And the thing is, is that, that God had made a promise to Abraham. He said, your people are going to be like the sands of the sea, the stars in the sky. There's going to be bunches. And your descendants are going to keep on going on. And, and the devil and, and Pharaoh's like, no, there's too many of them. Let's stop it. But no matter what he tried, it didn't work because... When God, make, I mean, when God makes a promise, he is faithful. It's going to happen. When God says something, it's going to happen. God says, I'm going to multiply your offspring. And there was nothing the devil could do. There was nothing the Pharaoh could do that could, that could stop that. And he sure tried. He said, you know what? Kill all the, all the male, male children, like the midwives. When you get there, you need to kill them off if it's a boy. And this, this cracks me up because the midwives are, are, are taking their time to get there. The babies are being born. And, and Pharaoh's like, what's happening? Why aren't you killing them? It's like, well, the, these, these, uh, these Hebrew women, they're not like the Egyptian women. I mean, they give, give childbirth vigor. I mean, this must have been like, basically, they're like, he's going into labor, fire in the hole. Like, man, contraction starting to, boom. There comes, oh, there's a, I mean, I imagine when they, when they were having these babies, you couldn't be up there like you see in doctors today right there getting ready. I mean, they had to stand back some. It was like a chicken cannon going off or something. Boom, catch the baby way over here. That's why the midwives couldn't get there in time. So babies are still being born. So Pharaoh's like, you know what? I got another idea. We'll just anything, anyone under, you know, anyone that's that's a newborn baby, we're just gonna drown them all. Throw them in the throw them in the river. He wanted to he wanted to kill the Hebrew people. And kill, as a matter of fact, the 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 Jewish story is this isn't the only time it happens. It happened in Nazi Germany. I mean, the devil is constantly trying to kill God's people. funny thing is, is the excuse for this, the rationalization for killing all of these people off, was national security. Did you know what? There's just too many people. But the reality is that wasn't the cause of this conflict. The reality is, is that Satan wants God's people dead. Satan wants God's people dead. And he'll use any means and use any excuse to make it happen. 
And, and in this case, he's got Pharaoh wanting to kill him off. And in today's world, I mean, he's, they just make people think that what's killing them is actually good for them. And John 10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil doesn't want people to love God or reproduce either. He doesn't want Christians reproducing Christians. He doesn't want, he, the devil wants everybody dead. And just like with the Jews, this, this bondage and mistreatment is designed to kill you, except for he's gotten much more clever about it. He makes it things like it's a good thing. Oh, do these drugs, it'll make you feel great, even though it's killing you. It's causing you to do all kinds of stupid things. This is his entire purpose. The devil's entire purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't have another purpose. He wants you dead. And not just you in this room, but he wants everybody, Christians, non-Christians, he wants everybody dead. You see, and the truth is, is the devil is not trying to muster up an army to take on God. You know, that's, that's popular culture. That makes a great movie, how, how you know, the enemy is trying to raise, or the, the devil's trying to raise up an army, and it gets big enough, and there's a big last battle, but whew, God won again. It's not nothing like God's not the devil's not trying to muster up on he's been defeated. There's no question about it. he's done. He's been he's been kicked to the curb. He doesn't have a chance to defeat God. So what is his what is his deal then? His only purpose is to, to drag people. The saying is misery loves company. He wants people to be dead with him. He wants people to be lost with him. And not just believers, but the entire world. He doesn't want anybody to be with God. And he comes and he tries to make it sound so good. And just like when Jesus was up on the mountain, uh, if, if, you, if you just look at the words that we're saying, you're like, well, that's not a bad, bad deal. You know, you just got to bow to Satan. And he gets everything. He gets all the kingdoms. And I mean, it sounds like a pretty good, I mean, the devil's tempting you with all this stuff. And it's always with stuff that you already have. The devil's like, you know, come do these things. It'll bring you happiness. But the truth is, the joy of the Lord is your, is, is your joy. Do these things that will make, it'll, it'll fulfill you. The only thing that can fulfill you is Jesus Christ. And he's always trying to sell something that you already have that's going to kill you, disguising it as something that's going to be good. Like a prowling lion, he's sneaking around behind the shadows and in the, in the grass that's too tall for you to see him, just pulling strings. And he's being as stealthy and deceptive as he can in order to devour people, to kill them, to drag them down with him. The other parallel we're going to look at today is that, that God sent, sent a man to, to pull people out of this slavery and this bondage. And, and we know that uh, uh, God sent Moses to the Egyptian people. It says in Acts 7, 30-34, it says, Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. And he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. I wouldn't pull this out of the book of Acts instead of out of the book of, of Exodus, because uh, Stephen does a pretty good job paraphrasing here what happened. So, but yeah, so, so basically Moses was born, and, and uh, the, the scripture says in 
uh, in Acts 7, 20 to 22, that, that he was beautiful in God's sight. God had a plan and a purpose for him, and he was, he was uh, brought, we know the story, right? He was brought up in, in his house for three months, and then they sent him out on a basket down the river near uh, Pharaoh's daughter, so she would see him, and she saw him and had compassion on him and raised him as, as her own son, and he, he was with them for, for 40 years, raised by Pharaoh. And then he went out, and, and uh, he saw... Uh, an Egyptian soldier attacking a Hebrew man. He kills him. And you know the little story, right? He goes the next day, he sees two, two uh, uh, Hebrew men fighting, and he says, hey, what are you guys doing? So what are you going to kill us too? So he takes off. And this is where we find him now. And uh, 40 years had passed since he had left at that point. Uh, and he's up there, and, and God says, you know what? I'm going to send you back. I've heard my people. We're going we're gonna to set them free. And Moses sends, or God sends Moses back. And I want to point out that Moses just wasn't some guy who, who saw his people being hurt and decided to stand up and make a stand. That makes a good story, right? Braveheart was all about that. Some guy that, that stood up and, and, uh, and freed his people from, in, in the, was it in Scotland that happened? Or Braveheart happened? Which I've actually since found out is probably one of the most historically inaccurate movies ever written. But, uh, <laughs> the, but the, that's the story. That's the good story. That's the kind of story we like. Someone stands up and from, from, meager, from, from a meager place they stand up and, and they, they save the day, right? But that's not what happened here. Moses, this wasn't Moses' idea. This was God. Moses wasn't some guy that had a bright idea or thought he was going to stand up for his people. This was God sending somebody to stand up for his people. And the, the mission of Moses was to free the Hebrew people from the oppressive rule of Pharaoh and their bondage. And he was initially rejected, right? Because he, he, he was there, and, and before this happened, he saw his people, and, and, uh, and he was rejected because he, he killed the Egyptian man, saved one of his, his fellow brethren, and then the next day he sees two of his other Hebrews friends. are like, what are you guys doing? You guys are the same people. You're brothers. Why are you guys fighting? And, and he was rejected by his people. So who are you, who are you our, our ruler and judge? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? But he was the man who, in the end, because God had sent him, even though he was rejected by his people, he mediated the release of the Hebrew people from Pharaoh. And he did it absolutely. You know, when God says, send somebody to do something, it's not done halfway. One of my favorite scriptures, just because it's, the wording of it just seems silly to me, but in Exodus ten twenty four through 26, it says, Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones may also go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have our sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. Well, that's, that's just funny to me. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know that we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. God wasn't interested in, in mostly setting them free. God wasn't interested in, in kind of delivering them. When God does something, he does it absolutely. They were completely free, not only the Hebrew people, but they took their livestock, they took their children, they took everything. And then in the end, we know how the story goes, not only did they take their stuff, they took some of the Egyptian stuff too, and they were blessed in this whole situation. When God saves, He doesn't mess around. He does it absolutely. And He does it in a way greater than you can ever think or imagine. Amen? 
And we find that with Jesus too. In Luke 22, 8 through 11, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus came to do the same thing for all of us, to rescue us from the bondage of sin and captivity and and, and set us free. And Jesus was God's plan, just like Moses was. Jesus wasn't thought of by some man. Matter of fact, I always know it's Jesus was from God because we would not have done it this way. We would not have sent the most fragile thing in the world to save man, a baby. Because that, I mean, that just, that's like, God's like, you're setting him up for failure. He can't even take care of himself. He can't feed himself. He can't even go to the bathroom by himself. That doesn't seem like a savior. But God doesn't do things the way that we do things. And then he sent his son to die on the cross to pay the price for us. And, and that's what will confuse the Jews because they're like, no, you're going, to send a, you're going to send somebody back that's going to set us free again. Who's going to be a savior. He's going to be a leader, not someone who's going to come to die. That doesn't make any sense. That's how you know it's not God. God sent someone to pay for us to take care of it ourselves. If it was man's plan, we would have been laying out all the different things that we have to do to, to, to make ourselves right with God. Actually, you see that in every other religion that was created by man. It's all the things that, that we have to do to be created by God. And like Moses, Jesus' mission was to free us from, from, from the bondage of sin, to free us from the oppression of Satan, just like Moses freed them from, from the bondage of Egypt, slavery in Egypt, and the oppression of Pharaoh. And like Moses, he was initially rejected by his people. I thank God that, that today we're seeing more and more of, his, uh, of, of Jewish people coming to know the Lord, and we know that eventually they're all going to come back home. Amen. But initially they've, been, they've rejected him, and Moses was rejected by his people as well. And Jesus mediates a, a, a better covenant for us with God. He stands in the gap and, 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 and is our advocate just like Moses mediated with Pharaoh. And the best part is, is the freedom of Jesus Christ is also absolute. There is no, it's, we're not kind of free. It's not, it's not one day in heaven. Right now, as soon as you accept the Lord, you are free. You are whole. You are pure. You are holy. And it's not one day in heaven. Oh, pastor, you, you can't imagine how, how healthy I'm going to be in heaven. Well, you can have that right now because health is yours. Or how, how righteous I'm going to be in heaven. Well, that's yours right now. And it's absolute. It's, it's perfect. It's done now. Jesus sat at the right hand of God because it was finished. Amen? And then we see that, that uh, many signs and wonders were performed in and through Moses as evidence that it was God. who was, Like I said earlier, Moses didn't just come out of the woodwork and do this on his own. God sent him. And this is the, probably the, one of the most famous ones that I picked out here in Exodus 14, 21 through 22. It says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. That's the, the one that most people know about. I mean, can you imagine seeing that? I mean, I really actually love how in days now, the, the technology that we have today, uh, where they're using computer-generated stuff to, to paint a picture of what that must have looked like and how incredible that would have been. And uh, I love that we can visualize that. But that, can you imagine being there to see that? I mean, I, I, if you had any doubt at this point, you went, 
yep, God's with him. Because, you know, he's just not blowing real hard to make this happen. And this wasn't the only one, right? Because he, he turned a, a, a staff into a serpent. You remember when he was on the mountain with, with God, and God's like, here, let me show you something. Stick your hand in your cloak, and he stuck it in there, and he pulled it out. It was leprous. He goes, I'll stick it back in, and he pulls it out, and now it's healed. And then we see he, he, uh, he turned the, the, the Nile into blood and frogs and gnats. I mean, all kinds. Of, I mean, God worked powerfully through Moses to give evidence that God was with him. And he's like I said, he turned water into blood. You know, Jesus turned, turned uh, water into wine. We see the parallels even in the miracles that they did. And these miracles gave evidence that he was actually an instrument of God. He was from God. Because how many know if God wasn't in it, he wouldn't have been with them right then? That's why the scripture says, unless the, the Lord build a house, they that labor, labor in vain. Because if God's not with you, you're just treading water. And the, funny, the interesting thing to me is that this should be true of us as well. In Mark 16, 17 through 18, it says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. It says, All these signs will accompany those who believe. This should be normal. Like we prayed this morning, Lord, don't let this be an occasional thing, but work through us constantly and always. This should not, the supernatural shouldn't be a... a a surprise to us. It should be an expectation. It should be our daily life. God working through us. These signs will accompany those of us because God is with us. It's evidence that God is with us. In Jesus, we know that, that Jesus was a man of miracles as well. In John 21, 25, it says, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. Anybody, have you ever read the New Testament? You see the stuff that Jesus did, and you're like, that's amazing. Look at all this stuff that he did. He was incredible. And then you get to this part, and it goes, well, I suppose if I wrote everything, we wouldn't even be able to contain it. We have such a, a slice of what Jesus actually did. And what he did will blow your mind. You know, that's the funny thing is people tell Christians they need to be open-minded. It's like open-minded. What do you mean? You know the stuff that I believe in? I'm pretty open-minded if you ask me. I believe a man died and rose from the grave and paid for my sins. That's pretty open-minded. How much more open-minded could I be? But Moses foreshadowed what would happen in Jesus. Moses did miracles to, to give evidence for it. Jesus did the same thing. And like I said, Moses turned water into blood and Jesus turned water into wine. And you remember Jesus or Moses drew water from a rock? Well, Jesus draws living water from the hearts of man. Jesus fed thousands from just a few small fishes and a piece of bread. He healed the lepers, the lame, the lime, the lime, the lame, and the blind. He he healed the lime and the coconut. The all who were sick, he healed them, and he even raised the dead. And these all gave evidence that God was with him. I mean, the Sadducees, they weren't confused. They knew God was with them. That's why there was such a big deal. They didn't want to, they, they, and the people definitely believed they, that they couldn't even lift their hand on them for most of the time because they were afraid that the people would revolt. Every miracle that he did proved that he was who he said he was. And then there was the most amazing miracle that he did. Romans 1, 1 through 4 says, 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, that was proof once and for all he was who he said he was. He was the Son of God. He was our Savior. He was the Christ. I don't know how there could be any, any confusion, especially back then. I mean, you don't ever see in the scriptures or even in secular writing people arguing about this stuff. They all know Jesus lived. They all know he disappeared from the tomb. And there was, I mean, you couldn't come out here and say all these things because there wasn't just two or three people that saw him. I mean, there was 500 plus people saw him rise from the dead. Nobody was questioning that. Nobody was, was confused about that. This bore witness, the fact that salvation and deliverance, that was God's doing as well. You know, the reality is, is that the Hebrew people were, were in a, a people in, uh, that had no hope. They had no way out. It was a, an impossible situation. And just like them, uh, people today are, are in an impossible situation. They have no hope. There's no possibility of escape. There's no possible way for them to make themselves right with God. But God steps in every time, and he stepped in for them, and he steps in for us, and we are made pure and holy in his Son. And then Moses delivered a covenant to the Jewish people. It's the last parallel, I believe, that we're going to look at today. In Exodus 19, 3-6, says, While Moses went up to God, the Lord called them out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. See, this is the moment... When the law was given, the, the, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And, you know, it's funny, the Ten Commandments are the big ones, and the rest of the law we know is derived from, from those, and even ultimately only two commandments, love your, uh, love your God and, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything is derived from. But, uh, I mean, if you read right up, when he came down in, in Exodus 19, the next ten or so chapters, I mean, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments he brought out. He brought down a lot of instruction. But God says, if you'll obey my commandments and keep my covenant, then you'll be my people. And this, they, they, they weren't a covenant people. God had made a covenant with Abraham that his people would, would multiply. But now God made a covenant with his people, with Israel. And at this point, a new religion is born. And people are given a brand new identity. They were once not a people of God. He says, now that, that, that you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation... And you will be my treasured possession. I mean, that would be some amazing news. God sets you free and says, you're my treasured possession. This was a turning point for the Jewish people. And in the same way, God makes a covenant with all mankind and his son. It's a turning point for the rest of us. And Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was, 
I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each, other, each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And then Jesus says later in Luke twenty two twenty, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus fulfilled this covenant in himself. He paid the price and said, You know what? I'm going to remove that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, and you are going to be my people. And because of this, we were all given the right to be called the children of God. We are, we, are, we are grafted in. There is no lineage. We don't have to follow our lineage back. So, you know, back, 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 and hopefully we hit God somewhere because the family tree and the Christian family is, is, is pretty short. It's God, our Father, and then us. We don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to figure out where we're at in the family tree. You're, you're, your Father is God. You've been adopted in. You've been grafted into the kingdom of heaven. And just like when Moses delivered the covenant to the, to, the, to the Hebrew people, to the Jewish people, there was a turning point. They were once a people that weren't gods, and now they were. Just like we were once a people that, not only were we, were we not a people of God, we were called enemies of God. But now we are a people of God. We are his children. And, and just like with the Jewish people, they've been given a new identity. We've been given a new identity. We're not who we used to be. We are someone new. And Jesus is the signature on this new covenant. His, his, his blood is the signature, the one that, that requires faith in him and him alone. One that, like I said, replaces our heart of stone with our heart of flesh. And now we can actually know God. And the veil was torn. That's always been amazing to me. Not the, the physical nature of that, which is amazing, because some scholars say that, that that cloth was as wide as a man's hand. And it ripped right in two. But it wasn't just that. That was the, that was the physical um, representation of the, the holy being torn down. We could enter the holy. We were no longer separated. We could see God face to face. We were a people that could be in fellowship with him. Like I said, we are now a child of God. And no father doesn't let their sons and daughters come to them. And this is done because of the work that he did. And it's finished on the cross. I thank God for that. And like I said, as we begin to look through this, it's undeniable proof that God loves his children. If you're ever confused that God loves you, just take a look at what he's done. Just like the Hebrew people can say, you know what, God loves us because he brought us out of this terrible situation. He's been with us. What Jesus did proves that he loves us. Every one of you in this room and every person out there. Because God died for us while we were yet sinners. So it's not just Christians he died for. He died for all of us because he loves all of us. And it's his will that all should come in. Amen? Amen. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying this so far. This is the first part of it. Next week, we're going to go into a few more parallels. And uh, to be honest with you, if I wanted to go through every parallel between this, and we'd have uh, months of sermons coming up. But we're going to keep it a little bit shorter. But uh, praise God. It's going to stand to our feet.